Welcome to Courageous Wellness. My name is Erica Stein. And I'm Allie French. And this is a podcast about individual journeys toward wellness and how to navigate it all. After Allie experienced a cancer diagnosis in her 20s, and Erica went through a sustained 50-pound weight loss and self-love journey, we created a platform to interview real people from all walks of life that have combined all types of practices. From physical wellness to emotional and spiritual, we hear courageous stories and focus on why it's important to share them. We are both certified integrative nutrition health coaches, and together with our community, we are learning to live our most courageous lives by sharing one courageous story at a time. It takes courage to share these journeys, and by talking about them, we aim to destigmatize the process. We want you to be your own health advocate, feel educated and informed on the latest in health and wellness, and empower you to feel your absolute best. Join us as we in our community share our courageous wellness. Today on the podcast, we welcome Kate Croco, author, psychotherapist, and business mindset coach. Kate helps ambitious female leaders uncover what has been holding them back, work through those blocks, and step into a true CEO mindset. In this episode, Kate gives us practical tips and tools to step into our power, talks the 12 limiting beliefs that hold us back from our potential, and discusses her new book, Think Like a Boss. Her corresponding workbook, Thinking Like a Boss Workbook, a 12-week guide to turn your limiting beliefs into limitless opportunity, was also just released. We know you are going to find tons of inspiration from Kate and hope you enjoy the episode. We have an exciting new discount for our listeners with Four Sigmatic. Four Sigmatic offers superfood coffee and elixirs to upgrade your daily routine. The powerful antioxidants, antiviral effects, and immune-boosting properties of mushrooms transform your cup of joe from an energy-boosting treat to a health-enhancing choice. Along with mushroom coffee, Four Sigmatic also offers mushroom elixirs, mushroom hot cocos, and other shroom-filled products. Erica uses the lion's mane in her morning superfood coffee, and even though I hate mushrooms, I absolutely love the products, especially the matcha latte powder, which contains myataki mushrooms and adaptogens. For 10% off Four Sigmatic products, visit foursigmatic.com and use the code COURAGEOUS at checkout, and there's also a direct link in our show notes. Kate, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat. Yes, us too. Uh, to get started, can you tell us a little bit about your personal journey and then how it's sort of led you to the work that you currently do? Yeah, so I'm a psychotherapist and a confidence and mindset coach for female leaders. And when I was in graduate school to become a therapist, that's when I really sort of started to discover self-development and get to understand myself a little bit better. And I realized at that point that I actually had struggled with an eating disorder my whole life. And I didn't know what it was. I didn't call it anything. I had never been to therapy my whole life. Um, my dad was a pastor growing up. So it was more of like, if you have a problem, just pray about it. And that was it. Like, it wasn't that they didn't believe in therapy, but it was um, just not something that we really did. Um, so in grad school, I decided, like, I realized at that point, this is 
really getting in the way of my success. It's really getting in the way of relationships. Um, just having that uh, negative belief in myself and not being able to set boundaries. Um, so I decided to go to therapy and that's really when the healing journey began. Um, and again, it's so ironic, you know, I was uh, studying to be a therapist and little did I know that like I was there to really heal myself. And I think that's why I was probably so attracted to, um, that career was just because I knew that I also needed it myself. So interesting. You know, it's like Erica and I, we, after we started the podcast, we both decided to go back to school. We went to the um, Institute for Integrative Nutrition to sort of expand our knowledge about nutrition from like um, just a more holistic standpoint um, because of all the work that we do with courageous wellness. And part of one of the concepts there is that like when you start to work with people or start to coach people that you really gain as much from it as you are giving. And it, that concept really, you know, it really makes a lot of sense where it's like you were drawn to this field because it was something that you yourself needed. And, um, I just think that's, I mean, I just love that concept, you know, that it's like, it's constantly like this growth process and this evolution. And I'm sure it still is to this point. But so, so you're here, you've, you've started to become a therapist. You went to grad school to become a therapist. And then what was that process like? Like healing your own sort of maybe negative beliefs about yourself? How did you actually start to make that transformation? Yeah. So when I was in grad school, I was also training in something called dialectical behavior therapy. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it. Yeah, I've heard of it before. DBT, right? It's typically yep, referred to. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I'm not as familiar. So if you can explain it to, to our listeners who might also not be. Yeah, so it's a skills-based treatment. Um, it was developed in the 1980s for women with borderline personality disorder. So women who were very black and white thinkers. Um, there's a, a book called I, I Hate You, Don't Leave Me. And that sort of describes like the feeling of having borderline personality disorder. Um, you know, you're just sort of hot and cold all the time, angry, but also love people. Um, so the woman, Marsha Linehan, she developed this in the 1980s, and they found that it was so effective with these women that they started to use it for all different other disorders. Um, and basically, there are four different modules in it, and it teaches you skills in emotion regulation, skills in distress tolerance, um, you know, when it feels like life is falling apart, like how to get through that. Um, interpersonal effectiveness. So how to set boundaries with people, how to speak up for yourself. And then also there's the component of mindfulness or spirituality or religion, whatever your belief system is. Um, so I was going to school to learn this and I realized, wow, this is like, again, like exactly what I needed. So I really started to teach myself along with going to therapy and really processing some of that um, those like deep wounds and issues from growing up. Um, but I really started to learn a skill set and life started to, I, I can still remember it just started to feel like this is living. Like I wish that I had done this sooner. Um, 
I finally can breathe. I'm not like holding my breath anymore. Um, because my eating disorder had gotten so bad that, you know, I was living in Manhattan. I was going to Columbia, you know, it should have been like the time of my life, but I was like stuck in my little studio apartment, like afraid to even leave. I didn't want people to look at me. Um, but you know, being able to find this help and to learn these skills within, you know, a good, it was only like maybe six months. I really started to feel better. Um, and then within a year, like it's crazy, but I just, I was so focused on feeling better and not wanting to live in that pain anymore that I put so much into it. And like a year later, it just felt like, wow, this is life. Like this is living. This is what it's supposed to be like. You know, there's still challenges. There's still disappointments. Um, but you know, we learn to sort of just get through them now. Wow. That's so, um, that's so incredible. And I think it's something I really believe in too. And I've seen in my own life, it's like when you're ready to start doing the work, it's like when you're in the mud, it feels like it's never going to end, right? It's like, this is life. This is my existence. This is my pain. But actually once something shifts, right? Just like one thing shifts it's your, in yourself, they, it doesn't have to take like years to heal, right? Like the healing can happen, um, pretty quickly. And of course, depending on what you're dealing with, like there have been some things, you know, I'm a huge advocate of therapy. I've been in therapy for two and a half years and I love my therapist so much. Um, and we continue to go through layers, but I've also seen so much in my life just transform so quickly Mm -hmm. and change so quickly when I've changed, right? Like when something inside of me has shifted, my environment shifted. So I think that's really, um, beautiful your experience. And so that is how you ended up healing then your, your eating disorder and being able to move through was through this work. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think once again, when you, I always say like, when you get a taste of what life could really be, you don't want to go back to where it was before. And I think that sort of drives you to just want to keep changing and just continue to do the right thing for yourself. So at this point, can you tell us a little bit um, about your work then as a therapist and sort of what that phase of your life looked like? Yeah. So I left graduate school. I worked in the field. I worked in foster care for a little bit. Um, I worked at some mental health clinics. I worked in addictions. And then I realized I think I just want to start my own business. Um, I think I want to give it a shot. You know, I was younger, um, going into private practice, they would always say in grad school, don't start your practice until you're ready to retire. Like until you've had a lot of experience, um, like that's sort of when you get to earn it. And I didn't want to be burned out and have a practice. I wanted to still have energy. And I remember hearing so many people saying, and this was, you know, about six years ago, Um, you know, my therapist is just like very worn out and overworked and she's crying in session. Um, or I feel like she's just not very present and I didn't want that to happen to me. So I decided, let me just start doing the research and seeing what goes into opening this business. Um, and little by little, you know, I laid the foundation and then I said to myself, like, I 
guess I could just put this out there and see what happens and create a profile in psychology today and see if people actually come. And the crazy thing was people actually did come and it filled up pretty quickly. Um, and within about four months, I was able to leave my nine to five because I was uh, making the same amount of money as I was in my nine to five um, and just really start feeling more fulfilled. I always loved the work that I was doing, but it there were so many other things that would come up. You know, there was a lot of paperwork and audits and just charting and there was maybe 10% of time spent with the clients. And I knew that I wanted that to be flip-flopped. I really wanted 90% of my life to, or my career to be with the clients and one-on-one and helping them and, you know, the other stuff to come after. Um, so, you know, it was very scary taking that leap, but once I did it, I knew that I had made that right decision. Yeah, I know that's something that you talk about um, and we'll get into, you know, the book that you've recently written and um, some of the concepts in that. But the idea of, you know, taking that leap maybe before you even feel ready, that's something that Erica and I like really resonate with because I think that was something that we actually did with this show. Um, we, we took the leap not even before we felt ready, but like before we were ready. <laughs> Um, you know, we're like, we'll just figure it out as we go. And that, I think there's so many, like myself included for so many years, I now can see that like I've held myself back in certain parts of my career because like I prejudge like, oh, it's not good enough. I can't put this out there. I can't this, that, whatever. But it's like, you know, the idea is like, if you don't try, the answer is going to be no 100% of the time. That's something that I wish I had internalized earlier. But once you do, it's like, oh yeah. I don't know if it's like, oh, the stakes are not as high as you think, perceive them to be or what it is, but it's empowering. It is. It's so interesting too, because I feel like that's how I lived. Honestly, from like, I was like crazy as like a, a, a youth, but like when I was like, probably like 13, 14 to like 22. I feel like that's honestly how I lived my life. Like I just kind of like went for relatively like what I wanted. And I just like fully believed it was going to work out for me and was like not really deterred by any no's I got. And then I think, right, like life happens and you become a little more, um, like the disappointments become greater, right. Than when you're young like, you know, especially as like a teenager. And I I don't know where I got that like headstrongness, but I just feel like there was an aspect of myself that like I went for the internships. I, you know, got rejected from the college I wanted to go to. And so I reapplied the next year. Like I was just so like, I'm going to get what I want to get. And then it shifted, but it's interesting because it did come back through this podcast where like there was just something inside, I think both Allie and I, where we knew this is what we were supposed to do, right? And it's since led us to go back to school and start coaching ourselves and et cetera, et cetera. But it's interesting that I've, I've now looked back on this chunk of my life where I didn't live my life like that. And now that I've started to live my life this way again, I see it like in so many people, I have so many people I love who I just want to shake sometimes and just be like, just go do it, right? Just yeah. go do it. 
So I know, right, you talk about this a lot um, in your book that you just released, right? Like thinking like a boss, uncover and overcome the lies holding you back from success. I just love that title. But you. maybe you could talk to us a little bit about like why, why we do this to ourselves and how we can kind of break that barrier. Yeah. I think a lot of it comes down to fear and that fear of like rejection. Like what if they do say no? But I always like to ask, what if, like you said before, what if they say yes? You know, what if this actually does work out? And when you don't ask, it is a no, it is an automatic no. Um, So I think that, you know, most people just don't like failing, but the only way to move ahead and to succeed is to fail is to fall and to have those experiences. Um, that's how we grow. You know, I've fallen so many times because, you know, like, uh, Erica said, I just sometimes go for it. And cause I think what's the worst thing that could happen. Um, and I think if we can sort of walk ourselves through that, like what actually is the worst thing that can happen? And we write that out and we check the evidence it's usually not as bad as we make it out to be in our mind. I think we just, like when I was thinking about leaving my nine to five, it's like, you know, it kept me paralyzed for a little bit. Um, But then when I really asked myself, what is the worst thing that could happen? I guess the worst thing is I leave and my business doesn't do well. And I just go and get another nine to five job, right? Like I just go and look for another job. Like there will always be a solution. And I think when you can accept that, um, it almost doesn't feel as risky to go and to just try. Um, and I always say like, you're never going to feel ready. Um, and the longer that you wait, the less ready you're going to feel. I think that you start to sort of talk yourself out of things. So, you know, if you want to start the podcast or want to write the book, like just get started And let that momentum grow Um, because the longer you wait, you're just going to probably talk yourself out of it. And it's just time sort of wasted. Yeah, absolutely. Why do you think, before we get into what the limiting beliefs are that you sort of address throughout your book, I'm curious as to your opinion as, you know, as a trained therapist, why do you think we create these limiting beliefs. Cause I, you know, Erica was talking about this time, like as a youth, as a young person, I also kind of resonate to what she was saying. Like, I remember just like, I was so driven and I, I just remember like thinking totally outside of the box, like at, until I was about 22. It was like after college, like entering the real world. And all of a sudden, I now like 10, 12, 12 years later, I can see like I spent about a decade not not living in that sort of like authentic place, which I believe was that like, just go for it. Just like, you know, have this grit, have this sort of determination. And I feel sad about the time that I didn't allow myself to have that. But now that I, I've reignited it in the last few years, I feel so much more aligned with actually who I am. And um, why do you think we, we create these limiting beliefs? Is it ex- experiences, you know, like childhood experiences? What, 
what allows us to create them and then so deeply hold on to them that it really dictates the way we make decisions throughout the rest of our life. I think it's really just listening too much and listening to what's around us. And I think, you know, as kids, we're sort of like rebels, like I'm going to do what I want to do. And we're sort of naive in a way, but in a good way. And then, you know, we go to college or we go to high school, then we go to college. And then everyone's saying like, the real world is going to be really hard. Everything's going to be hard. You have to act this way. You have to be professional. Um, So I think we just start to sort of take that on um, and believe that everything has to be hard. Like in order to succeed, you need hard work. Like you have to suffer. You have to struggle. Um, And I think that's sort of where it comes from is us just sort of turning off what we hear inside and turning on what other people are saying a little bit louder. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think we get to that place where, you know, I think for a lot of people it happens sort of like when you turn 30, like, or later twenties where you're like, you know what, like maybe I should go inward again. Maybe what my gut was telling me or what I really believe like is true. And, um, I think like your twenties are just really, really hard. Yeah. I think that's why I feel sad about that. Like I'm 34 now and it took really to like being 31, 32 until I realized like, oh, my gut has never led me astray. I just chose not to listen to it. I chose to listen to everything else. And it's like, I feel like it's the twenties are like wasted on the youth. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, I wish I could. It's like I had any sort of redo. I, I wish I could do just that decade. And it's not that I don't have like Same. appreciation for it, but I just, um, I don't know. I just like, I'm, I'm so glad I've come to this sort of understanding now, um, rather than never or rather than later, you know, but it's like, oh, had I known that or had I applied that then, who knows, you know? So it's empowering for sure. And I think at any point in your life, it can be empowering and you can tap into that, which is exciting, right? Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I think like that is what's exciting about life is that, you know, I do think your 30s are a really interesting time because I feel like I almost have come back to like who I was, you know, it's like, and I do like, there's, you know, Ali and I both practice Buddhism and there's this concept I really like called expedient means and how it's kind of like everything you go through is if you're able to awaken right to the beauty in it, everything is just an expedient means to get to where you're supposed to go. And I really Mm -hmm. see that. And I know, um, I'm, if you're, you're, you're fortunate enough, right. To have that awareness, because I, I still meet people and have, you know, people in my life who, um, you know, they're just not there, you know, like they're just not there. And I, I, I want them to be there and they always, but I think it's like what you said is so interesting because, um, you know, be it family members, they'll always tell me, they're like, you know, you're the only person who tells me to just go for it. Right. Like, like you're the only person that tells me that. So I think like you're saying that noise is so loud of everybody saying, don't go for it because I can't tell you how many times with family members or loved ones who have told me I'm literally the only person telling them go for it. Right. And so how do you listen? It's, it's very scary and hard to listen to yourself, I think. And what I, I feel so fortunate about, and I know I'll talk a little more about astrology later, um, cause we already talked about it in the pre-interview, but, um, 
my Saturn return in astrology, which we've talked about on this before, where you kind of come back to yourself, was really instrumental in me getting to this place of really shedding these beliefs. I was kind of forced to shed these beliefs in my late 20s, right before I turned 30, um, that just weren't serving me. So maybe we can go into now what these limiting beliefs are that you, you mentioned that there's 12 of them, I think, in your book that can really hold us back. So um, maybe we can touch on these limiting beliefs and how to not listen to that outside noise, right, of so many people telling us we can't go for it. Totally. So I think we sort of st- touched on one before, which just the lie of I'm not, I'm not ready right? I'm not prepared. I need all of these other things in line before I get started. And I think, again, it's just an excuse for I'm scared. Like, what if I fail? But again, what if you succeed? And I think another really interesting lie I talk about in the book is the lie of I don't have enough time. Mm-hmm. And I think with what, what we're living in right now for so many people, you know, they've gone through their lives saying like, if I only had more time, I would start a business or I'd start a podcast or I'd start prioritizing my health. And for some, they have now all of the time, like they're given this gift in a way um, and they're able to get those things started. So I'm just like curious to see like what will come out of this if people are going to actually get started now that they have the time. Um, you know, I think we also tell ourselves like, I need to have it all together. Um, I need to, I need this to be a certain way. Um, I don't know if you want me to go to just sort of list them all out or do you want to just like dive into a couple? Yeah. Maybe if you can list out, I think it's, it'll be interesting and maybe someone listening will resonate with one of them. So if you, if you want to list out what these limiting beliefs are, and then maybe we can, um, maybe dive deeper into one or two of them. Perfect. So I'm just going to read them to you in order so that I don't feel cut down the time a little bit. I need to have it all together. I'm not ready to start. I'm not qualified. I'm not smart enough, young enough, or old enough to succeed. I'll never have enough money. Making money is greedy. I need to say yes to every opportunity that comes my way. I can't possibly have a successful business and be a good mom. I need my friends and family's understanding in order to succeed. I don't have enough time. It's already been done before. I am my business. And I'm not capable of handling success. Mm. Yeah. Almost hard to hear those. I don't Uh know if you felt that too, Allie, but it's like, damn, like I have said every single one of those to myself and it just makes my heart so sad. (laughs) You know what, Kate, is interesting is I find some of these are maybe not one person has said this to you, but they're somewhat like societal beliefs, right? Yeah. As well. And I think that's, those are sometimes a little bit sneakier to identify that we actually fall into believing because I'm hearing it, you know, read back to me and I can articulate the ones for myself like, oh yeah, I've struggled with this or I've struggled with this. And this comes from my family belief or this comes from like my parents or my friend group or whatever. Like I can say like it's been reinforced personally in my life, but some of them, like I'm trying to, I was just looking at them as well. I was going to say some of them um, are really 
I think reinforced a little bit more subtly through, Mm. through sort of societal, um, beliefs that we all, we can take on quite easily. Um, that I don't have enough time is, is a big one. And then also like that I am my business. I think that's a really interesting one because we oftentimes associate, like I, I think in this time, this year, 2020, we've been dealing with sort of unprecedented situations, but like you said, a lot of people have more time than ever before. And, um, on top of that, I I don't know. Personally, I've realized that for the first time in my life, I'm doing so much less than I'm typically used to doing. Mm. And it's forced me to identify that my value is not in what I do, but my value is just because I exist as a human being. And I've had a really hard time. Like I, I didn't quite identify that for myself until I was able to stop and was sort of forced to look at that. Um, and I think that idea of I am what I do, I am what I make, I am my business is really interesting. And I think it's how we often identify like who we are in this world, right? Um, so I would love, maybe we can start with that one because I think that's something that really our culture and our society and capitalism really supports this belief system. So let's, let's start with that and talk a little bit about that one. Well, I remember even as, you know, thinking back, like when I was a social worker and not making a lot of money, just feeling like, you know, a little bit less than like comparing myself to other people who had these like big corporate jobs and were making six figures. And I think that we really tie our worthiness to our success and, you know, whether it's your career or your business you know, and I think for especially people right now, so many people like their businesses are sort of stalled. And I think it's an eye opener um, to sort of like get to the bottom of it and just say, like, I am still worthy, even if my business is not making money, even if I'm unable to um, do what I used to do. And a question I always ask my clients is, who would you be if your business was just completely stripped away from you? Like if something happened and it was pulled right under from you, like who would you be? And I, so many people can't answer that question. And I know for myself, like several years ago, I wouldn't be able to answer that question. I felt like I am no one without my business. And I had, you know, every single one of these lies were lies that I've struggled with. Mm -hmm. Um, and I share those stories in the book. Um, but I had gotten to a point where I just, you know, was sort of running around and saying like, I don't have time. I can't do any of these other um, personal things because my business is just taking over. But it was because I was allowing it to be and, you know, sort of setting like I'm successful in my business if I make this amount of money Um, and needing to just constantly work and work and work. And I didn't really snap out of that until I found out I was pregnant with our first daughter, um, which was like the biggest gift because if that had not happened, I probably would have just run myself down. Mm. Well, that's another lie that you address. And I think a lot of, you know, Eric and I don't have children, but I think a lot of young women, um, 
and maybe not so young women too, who are moms feel like it really has to be, you know, one or the other, like you're compromising, you're constantly compromising, like you're constantly compromising your business and your motherhood. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? Like, how is that something that you reconciled for yourself when you became a mom? Yeah. I think for so many women, they believe I can either be one or the other. And it's hard to envision, especially if let's say you're a stay-at-home mom and you want to start a business. It feels like I'm already so busy. Like, how am I going to have the time to do this? Or if you have a busy career or, you know, you're in business and you're working 24 seven, if I want to become a mom, how will I have the time to do this? So I think it's really about learning to set boundaries and also just setting your priorities. Like, what is it that you want? What is it that you're doing that maybe you think you need to, or you have to, or or you should be doing, and you're not doing these things because you really want to. And I think for so many women, um, it's very easy for us to just get caught up in that. And I think it's so important that we constantly check in and say like, like look around and evaluate the, all the things you're doing. Like, do I actually want to be doing these things? Or like, do I just think I need to do this to be successful? And I have to constantly check in with myself. Um, and I think that in some ways, motherhood almost makes it easier for women to get very real with themselves because now you have even less time. So you have to be so picky and choosy um, with what you're going to do. So I think it's like an automatic, like you have to evaluate um, if you want to try to succeed at both. We want to take a quick break from this episode to tell you about today's sponsor and one of our favorite wellness brands, Ned. Ned produces the highest quality full spectrum CBD from organic hemp plants sourced entirely from an independent farm in Colorado. After interviewing co-founder Adrian Zimmerman on the podcast and trying their products, Allie and I were both instant fans of the products and of the company. As someone who struggles with anxiety, my favorite product is definitely the full spectrum hemp oil line. I notice a huge difference in my anxiety, sleep, and general mood when I take it consistently, so I have made it part of my daily self-care routine. Every day I use the 750 milligram tincture and do two droplets under my tongue in the morning and evening. I also love applying the hemp-infused body butter to my neck and shoulders before bed as I am winding down and always use my tincture as an alternative to any pain medication if I get hit with a headache. What's great about Ned is that they also offer a North Star membership where with zero commitment, I can have my favorite products delivered monthly at an extra discount with free shipping and no annual fee. I have also become a dedicated user of Ned products and have been able to replace my monthly use of ibuprofen to manage period discomfort with Ned's natural cycles collection of salves, tinctures, and roll-ons. This collection is slow crafted with love from an extraordinary group of women and provides a more holistic anti-inflammatory and natural pain relief option. Also, I recently started incorporating Ned's limited release immunity blend tincture into my routine as well. This blend combines botanicals, herbs, and fungi to offer functional immune support. 100% of profits are donated to EcoHealth Alliance to support their fight against pandemics and promotion of conservation. If you want to check out Ned and try their CBD for yourself, we have a special offer for the Courageous Wellness audience. 
go to www.helloned.com slash CW podcast. That's H E L L O N E D.com slash CW podcast to get 15% off your first order plus free shipping. Thank you, Ned. We know you're going to love it. You can also find the direct link in our show notes and check out all of their wellness products. Now back to the episode. It's so interesting because as you're talking, I'm also thinking so much about, I think, you know, these limiting beliefs that we have, right? They can cause us just to suffer so much, right? Because we're not living in our truth. We're not living in alignment. We're living from fear essentially. Right. And it's like, this is why people are so, I mean, obviously, but I'm just having like this aha moment, right. Of like, even talking about motherhood, like there's so many mommy shamers and there's so many, like just whenever. And I think a lot of people, right. Have that fear of what if I am successful, right. Then what kind of hate am I going to get? Or are people, and I have so many friends who we talk about this all the time where they had so many experiences where they did achieve some sort of success or recognition and they lost friends or they got shamed or they got pushed. I think we can all relate to that. But as I'm listening to, I'm like, wow, it's so important. And I think, I, I don't know if I wasn't aware of it, but I just, I wasn't the most like, I feel like now in my thirties, I support everybody doing anything in their light. Like I swear, it's like if you invite me to like your Facebook page or you start a business on Instagram, I will follow, I will like it, I will comment. Like I'm, even if like it's someone I went to high school with like 10 years ago, like I will support what you are doing in the light. But I wasn't always like that. I wasn't, I was never like a shamer or a hater, but I wouldn't outwardly go out of my way to support people I wasn't necessarily close to. And I just think it's such an, it's just, as you're talking, I'm having these epiphanies of like, especially as women, I feel like we just need to support each other so much because it takes so much courage, right? To transform these limiting beliefs to put yourself out there. And I think as a society, if like, especially if everyone listening to this podcast, if we can be the ones to start with like that support and that care with, of course, our friends, but I think just like strangers in our community, like all the time I see people posting on Instagram, I'm starting this page or I'm doing this like follow. And, um, I do it actually all the time now because I have a business and I have a page. And so I, I understand, right. Like what it's like to put yourself out there. But yeah, I always do that. And I, um, I wasn't even conscious of the why, but as you're talking, I was like, oh, this is so important because of course we have to do the work to transform our limiting beliefs. But I think collectively, if we have this awareness, we should be supporting other women in shedding their limiting beliefs as well. Cause it, it does kind of take a village to transform this generational, you know, societal, karma and trauma of sorts of, especially as women, I think, but I'm just, yeah, blown away listening to you talk about this. I'm curious also, Kate, like you've now published books. You've even like grown your business more. You're now helping other women, um, think like a boss. And so can you tell us like some of the, you know, obviously like the transformation, the work in doing, um, the DBT and actual like deep therapy and then 
practicing for a long time, obviously like taught you certain skill sets in order to transform these beliefs or at least not act from them. Like I'm sure that, well, can you talk a little bit about that? Like even if these are deep rooted beliefs and you've done work to transform them, I'm sure they can still be triggered sometimes, right? Like the old ones can be triggered, but what are your series of steps or tools that you use now um, in order to live from a place where you're making decisions from um, your new beliefs, not these limiting ones? Yeah. So I think that's a good point. What I always say is if you're experiencing these limiting beliefs, it's actually a good sign. It means that you're growing. I think that you know, and I had this belief early on, like, oh, once I get through these things, once I work through that old, you know, trauma or pain or whatever that is, like, it's going to be gone forever and I'll never have to deal with it again. But the more that, you know, the more success that we find, the more we put ourselves out there, um, the more ahead that we get, they're going to come back up. And I think that's just a normal part of life and it just means that you're growing. And if you can accept that, and I think a lot of DBT is acceptance, is just learning like these things are going to happen and that's okay. I'm going to acknowledge it and move on. Um, If you can just accept that, this is a part, a normal part of um, learning Mm -hmm. and I'm going to get through this because I've gotten through it in the past and it's not going to keep me back as long as it did in the past. So like, you know, when I, when one of these come up and I start struggling again, I'm not paralyzed in my bed for weeks at a time. I'm able to talk myself out of it and like snap out of it usually pretty quickly, like Mm -hmm. maybe in an hour. Sometimes I need a day, but, Mm -hmm. um, I think that just being human, like these are never going to go away. Like they do get easier, but I think if you can just accept that, like life is painful and also beautiful. And that's the big part of DBT. It's like looking at that dialectic. Mm. Yeah. And you have, right, um, visualization exercises in your book. So maybe you could walk us through one of those so um, we can hear it in practice as well. Yeah. Do you want to talk through... There's um, an inner child one, and then there's also the future self visualization. Mm, let's do future self. Future self? Yeah. You know Can I just read it? Of course. Future self visualization is really just when you're not feeling confident, when you're not feeling like maybe you're ready to take that next step, really visualizing that person that you want to be in the future. So, just sitting there and I'll just, I'll just sort of do it with you guys. You can close your eyes and just think of that person that you want to be in the future. Who's confident, who doesn't second guess herself, really start to envision what that person looks like. Maybe they're up on a stage maybe they're, um, dressed up. Maybe they're just dressed down and they're running, you're running around and you just have this like inner peace and just start to imagine and envision what life would feel like if you were in that place of peace, um, of safety, of feeling like things are in control. And now just start to envision yourself being there. And when life, and you guys can open your eyes if you want, <laughs> when life starts to feel hard and you, your confidence starts to 
go away. You just envision yourself as that person. So that person who feels calm, that person who feels like everything is in control, that person who's confident up on that stage or confident speaking. And the thing is, what I always say is you are already that person. She's just underneath that insecurity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think we often think, you know, that person is a different person, but no, that's you. That's you once you can release and shed all of these lies. Um, so it's just you stepping into that more robust version of yourself um, and letting all of those other beliefs go. Love that. I was actually like really in it just now. <laughs> I was doing oh, the same. <laughs> I hope everyone listening was too. It's so amazing. And that's what's so great, I think, about your book is that it has these like practical tools and you know, visualizations that you can put into practice. Cause I think that's important too, right? It's not just about like learning and being like, aha, but how do I actually put this into practice? And, you know, one more thing I wanted to ask you as well is, <laughs> um, not to bring everything back to astrology, but as a Libra, I've always struggled with making, um, decisions in general, but I think regardless of your astrological sign, I think a lot of people struggle with making big decisions and that's something else that you also talk about. So, and I think this year, probably more than ever, a lot of people have to make right big decisions um, about their life or where they want to go or what they had planned that maybe can't be planned in the way that they wanted to anymore. So can you talk to us about the formula that you present for making big decisions? Yeah. So like everything in the book, everything is very simple. There's nothing that's profound in there. Um, and when I was in grad school, there was this exercise in dialectical behavior therapy of looking at the pros and the cons of something, and they do it a little bit differently. So rather than just looking at the pros and the cons, we're going to look at all different angles of it. So I think when we have a decision to make, we go into it, into the pros and cons with a bias we already know what our decision's going to be. Like we're leaning more towards one area. So rather than just looking at the pros and the cons of doing the thing, so let's go back to like leaving your job to start a business. Um, what are the pros and cons of also not doing the thing? Because there's always pros and cons on the other side. So a really simple way to do it is take a piece of paper, fold it in half, fold it in half again. So there's four areas on the page. And, you know, at the top, the pros and cons, the pros of doing the thing, the cons of doing the thing. And then at the bottom, the pros of not doing the thing and the cons of not doing the thing. And if you can list all of that out, um, try not to add in any emotion into it. Just try to put evidence on the paper. Um, I promise your answer will pop out. And again, it's just sort of like looking at the, another angle. It's not any different. Um, but I think it's also easier when we have four things to choose from rather than just two. Yeah. And that's really cool because it allows you to really get in tune with what's coming out of you, like the pros and cons that you're bringing up for both situations rather than like phoning a friend or like, you know, polling the audience. You know, I, I think that's a major shift that happened for me. You know, when we were talking about the shift that happened into the thirties where I was dealing with some major sort of 
big life transitions. And it wasn't that I didn't share them with certain people in my life because I did, but it was like the first time in my life where I didn't have the instinct to go ask like a bunch of my friends, even my closest friends, like what I should or shouldn't be doing according to their opinion. I just knew I needed to like get quiet and get in tune with like that sort of intuition was louder than ever before. But that being said, this is an exercise where you can put all of the stuff that's already inside of you out in front of you and be able to sort of observe the evidence of it. And that's really cool. And um, I like that. I think I'm going to use it. Yeah. How much, I just, I'm curious too, how much do you think, right? Like obviously the people you surround yourself with is very important because like, I fully agree with Allie about everything that you just shared, right? About like not um, consulting always with the peanut gallery, right? About what everyone's opinions will influence your decisions. But I will say just to like shout out Allie and her strength, (laughs) you know, um, Allie and I did get really close during a really transitional time in my life as well. And Allie, you're like one of the strongest, most like straight shooting people I've ever met. And you know, it wasn't like you were, but just being around, right? Like that energy, I think just made me stronger, right? As a person. So thank you, Allie, for being such a wonderful friend and human. But, um, yeah, I just like, what would you say? Because I, I do think there's something too, right? Like you are the people that you surround yourself with. So do you have any tips for that? Like, is there part of this formula or, you know, like kind of taking stock of the people that you really do spend the most time with? Yeah, I always say that I believe all of the answers are within. Mm. And yes, you can, you know, get feedback from friends and family. But I think it's important that when you trust yourself and you know deep down what your answer is, even if it doesn't make any sense at all, you have to go with that gut feeling. And, you know, I think there's that feeling of, I don't know if you've ever felt this before, but when you've sort of betrayed yourself, like you knew deep down that you should have done that other thing, like that was the right thing for you, but everyone else told you, no, maybe you should do this or maybe you should do that. And you went against what your gut feeling was. That that feeling is, it's like the, the most, I don't know, it, it just feels terrible when you've when you've gone against yourself. So I think like walking away from decisions, knowing like, this is what I wanted. This is what I know is being told to me within. And um, it may not make sense to other people and that's fine. Um, You know, I think that people give decisions um, because of sometimes like what they've experienced, like their own uh, lies that they tell themselves or auto, also just out of safety because they love and care about you and they don't want to see you disappointed. And I think that's like the start of our conversation of why people say like, oh, don't shoot for that or girls don't do that because they love and care about you and they don't want you to be disappointed. So it's not out of like being vicious or anything. It's just because they care. Um, But again, I think that we all have our own answers within and we know what's right for us. Um, So use that little formula and then check in with yourself. 
Yeah, I love that. It's great advice. So I'm curious, as we start to wrap up, you know, you are a boss lady. You, um, you coach so many women now. You're an author um, and a mom. You have a lot of hats that you wear. And we always ask all of our guests, what do you do for your own self-care? And what are your non-negotiables? Like, how do you keep that sort of connection to what is right for you clear and, and clean for yourself? Yeah. So my self-care right now is therapy once a week for 30 minutes and also waking up every day, making sure I wake up before everyone else. So waking up, setting the alarm to 5, 5.15, having coffee by myself on the couch, sitting, reading, um, journaling, praying, just having at least 15 minutes for myself. Um, and it doesn't sound like luxurious or anything, but it really is for me in this season. Like it just feels good. Um, something else I think for myself practicing self-care is – just um, being aware of my own boundaries and my needs and being able to speak up for myself, especially with what we're going through right now. So just like being really open and honest with my husband, like, hey, I need this time to myself to go and work or to write or whatever it is. Um, I need you to help. Um, so I think, you know, self-care looks a little different these days. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. And the um, final question that we ask all of our guests is, other than your own, do you have a book that you would recommend that has been particularly inspirational to you along your journey? It can be um, on any topic, um, not just this one. Yeah. I don't know if I have it in here with me. No, I don't. But um, I just started reading. So Marsha Linehan, who developed DBT, she actually just wrote a memoir that came out in January. And there's been other books that have been instrumental in um, my growth, but this one right now is just really speaking to me. Um, she sort of, so she struggled with um, borderline personality disorder. And that's really why she developed this type of therapy back in the 80s. And she never told anyone. Like, she never, like no one ever knew that she had any type of mental health issue. Um, she is probably, I'm thinking she's like in her sixties. And she said, I wanted to make sure that my story got out there. Like before I died, like I didn't want to die a coward. I wanted people to know what I struggled with. And she actually was, um, had a psych hospitalization for over two years. Wow. Um, so she, you know, was suicidal, like really, really struggled, but through that pain really knew that she wanted to use that to help others. And, um, just reading and her being so brave and like getting into all of the details, it's just been, um, just really influential right now. Thank you. And, um, the last thing of course is if anybody, if anybody wants to find you, follow you, buy your book, where can they? Yeah. So I love hanging out on Instagram. It just at my name, Kate Crocco, um, my website, katecrocco.com forward slash book. You can find out all of the information about the book there. Awesome. Thank you so much again for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Courageous Wellness. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week. 
subscribe, rate, and write us a nice review. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness or get in touch via our website, www.courageouswellness.net, where you can also find additional info about our health coaching services, virtual group events, newsletter, and more. Until next week, I'm Allie. And I'm Erica and we're Courageous Wellness.